0: Renaissance fifty six. Yes. How are you, my little limpet mine?
1: <laughs> I prefer drone master two thousand, but that's fine. I'm, I'm good. How are you doing?
0: Get shot out of the sky I, if you're a drone. I do and occasionally,
1: Most, mostly in Vegas, unless I pay. But that's that's not what we're here tonight. Yeah, I heard about that.
0: Yeah. Uh, in the year fourteen seventeen, Ray. Yeah we're still we're still in the year 1417 I am. Uh, our friend Poggio Bracciolini mm-hmm. made the greatest discovery of his career and in many ways I think perhaps one of the greatest discoveries ever made yes the
1: end terms of its,
0: sorry go ahead in ter- no sorry in terms of its impact right on the future of Western civilization mm-hmm this was right up there. Yeah. Never. Now, scholars aren't exactly sure where he made it. <laughs> right. Because he kept it a secret. Yes. He found a gold mine <laughs> of old manuscripts. Right. And didn't want anyone else. To know where it was. Well, I, Why do you think that was?
1: Well, I think we talked about on a previous episode about these guys. It's not like, I mean, their expenses were being met about traveling, lodging, uh, food, companions, translators. We talked about people like uh, Cosimo and others would, uh, would, would pay for their, uh, their traveling. But it's not like they're going to make a ton of money from making a discovery. That's not why they're doing this. They're going to find stuff get it copied, send it back to Florence, send it out to all the different humanists. But again, this is not their way of of striking it rich. However, they will be remembered forever because whoever finds these various books gets credit for it. And the way the system was set up, everyone knew who found what. And so you could say it's... it's, um, something for the ego, that's fine, but the point is they're not getting rich, but they will go down in history, and if you do find a, a gold mine in an abbey where you can find lots of previously unknown manuscripts, you keep that shit to yourself so you can go back time and time again, if possible, to, you know, keep finding these ancient manuscripts and to get your place in history. Hey, I wonder,
0: I wonder if he had any intention of going back. I mean, the the flip side is maybe the Abbott at the monastery was like, "Listen, okay, we will, we will show you our manuscript room, but we we don't want this place to turn into Comic Con, right? right? (laughs) Just with lots of lots of manuscript.
1: Yeah, we don't need
0: smelly, bearded nerds turning up, gay with t-shirts. Can I see your manuscript?" (laughs) And they'd be like, oh, oh fuck. like We built our, w- we built our monastery <laughs> out in the middle of nowhere so we could have some peace and quiet. We don't want all you fucking nerds. Do you see tank.
1: that wall? That's a big, giant wall. The wall's there for a reason. <laughs> it's not just to hang posters <laughs> yeah. of uh, the Hulk on. Get the fuck out of here.
0: <laughs> so it might have been a deal that he did with them to keep the place secret. Sure, but good point. Anyway, one candidate for where it was is a place called Fulda. Mm-hmm. Um now I had a look at on a map yep. Fulda is smack bang in the middle of Germany. <laughs> if you f- found the center point yeah. of Germany and drive a pin through it that's where Fulda. <laughs> You're there. Is. You're there. Yeah. Now, a Benedictine monastery was founded in Fulda in the year 744 by St. Sturm. Wow. Sturm und Drang St. Storm, which I've got to say That's a name. is a pretty badass name. It's
1: my poor name.
0: What's your name? St. Storm. <laughs> True story, St. Storm was the great, great Ancestor of Susan Storm, aka the Invisible Woman, I knew that wife of Reed, wife of Reed Richards, who will be
1: at Comic Con. A- yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, just to bring <laughs> <you> the Comic Con <laughs> thing back full circle. Saint Ooh. Storm, pretty badass superhero name, actually. Yes. If you're going to do superheroes, that's, a, that's a way From the eighth century, yeah. Saint Storm. <laughs> um, now Storm was a disciple of Saint. Boniface, Mm -hmm. the so-called Apostle of the Germans. He went out and tried to convert the Germans. And I love the fact that uh, whenever you see paintings of Saint Boniface, he's often pictured with a large Bible pierced by a sword. Yeah, what's up with that? Because tradition. Well, tradition has it that um, he was robbed on the road <gasps> when he was out apostling right. to the Germans. <clears> and he tried, to pro- he tried to protect himself as they were about to stab him to death. He held up right. a Bible, Ooh. Um, Ooh. and they they killed him anyway. <laughs> he was like, "Protect me, Lord!" No, nope. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> not today. And I just feel. I feel bad for him because I know for a fact that at the, um, you know, the monastery where he had trained, they had spent a lot of money on self-defence training. Aww,
1: and like the monks of they Shaolin. Gave the, yeah.
0: Yes. Well, they gave the monks. They said, look, monks, we're going to do some self- Look, it's dangerous work yeah. being a monk. We all know yeah. that. Um, so you've got a choice. We, we, we could do the Shaolin Kung Fu. <laughs> Uh, training monks <laughs> in China highly recommend this, right. Um, or right, right, or we could. But uh, Barry and Stan have got this other one <laughs> and they're promoting. It's expensive, but I think it's worth it. It's look, it's cutting edge. <laughs> um, it's called The Ancient Art of Hiding Behind a Bible. Um, and uh, I don't know, I mean,
1: quite Is frankly, big Bible.
0: I haven't. I haven't had the opportunity to do a lot of uh, background research Looking on the effectiveness, right, right, of this. But Barry and Stan convinced, <laughs> and very convincing, <laughs> that this is this is going to be the next big thing. This and uh, something called Bitcoin say, are going to be the next big Huge. thing, Huge. and uh, we should get behind it. Yeah. So yeah, he tried to defend himself by holding up a Bible. Didn't didn't work. And I love the fact that. Artists think it's quite funny to just put that in paintings of him. Oh, which, which, which white guy with a big beard is that? <laughs> uh, well, you can tell who it is because he's holding up a, kind of a sword. Thing. Yeah, yeah. That's that's piercing a Bible. Yeah. Now, I also like the idea that if you did, like, if you tried to save your life by holding up a Bible sure. and it failed, the last thing you would do is walk around carrying uh, for eternity a, a a sword with a Bible. Yeah, uh, pierce, bad memories. Well, piercing a Bible just to remind people right. uh, what a yeah. loser you are. Yeah. Well, what, are you, what are you carrying that around for, ghost of uh, St. Boniface? <laughs> well, you know, it's a great story. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you. Thought I, could, <laughs> thought I could save my life by holding up a Bible when guys were trying to hack me to death. Right. <laughs> what yeah. an idiot I am. <laughs> thought I not- just carried around to remind myself uh, that I'm an uh, idiot.
1: <laughs> and he has to preface that story with, look, this is not a joke and this is not a punchline. This is what really happened to me. So if you could hold your chuckles until after I leave, I'd greatly appreciate it.
0: Thank you for your time. Mm. Saint Boniface. Mm. So, anyway, uh, Saint Sturm uh, ended up serving as a base from where missionaries Mm -hmm. who were going on Charlemagne's military campaigns could could stop at when they were in the middle of Germany before they were going on to conquer and convert Saxony. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so it, it ended up developing an amazing collection of manuscripts. Nice Well, Obviously, I don't think we've talked much about the Renaissance of Charlemagne I should talk about that in a second But, um, you know, they, they, they were missionaries coming through uh, I think the abbot at the monastery was like Listen, sure, you can stay here The price of admission mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is uh, Bring me a book yeah. that I haven't seen before
1: yeah. um,
0: We, if, if it's a really good book, you can get the uh, honeymoon suite <laughs> Uh, you know we have we have lots of rooms here. Uh, the little boys, the quality of the quality of the book and the quality of the little boy uh, depends on on each other. Yeah, determine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now Fulda lends its name also to uh, the Fulda Gap. Oh. that you may or may not be aware of. No. Do you know what the Fulda Gap was? No, please tell me. Well, uh, it's a, 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 an invasion route, east-to-west ah. invasion route, okay. used by Napoleon, among other people. Right. Uh, but during the Cold War, it was presumed to be a potential choke point for any Soviet forces that were trying to get through to attack NATO. It would have been where you would drive tanks if you were trying to launch a surprise attack. Mm-hmm. On NATO forces during the Cold War, you'd drive your tanks through the folded right. gap. So there's, I think there's a U.S. base there or near there. Probably is, yeah. Good, good, good as an excuse as any for a U.S. base. <laughs> U.S. bases are mo- mostly determined just by... Yeah, where the
1: bars are at. Coin. Oh, right,
0: right, right, right. Yeah. yeah right. Um, so anyway, back to the monastery. Yeah. So in the early 9th century, the abbot there was Rabanus Morus... Uh, nobody knows more about Rabanus Morris than you, Ray. Tell us all about Rabanus Morris.
1: Yeah, I guess he was, out of all the different people that was there or in charge of it, the abbot, but he was one of the more celebrated figures. He was abbot there from 822 to 842. Prolific writer when he was not diddling little boys or himself. He wrote biblical commentaries, doctrinal treatises, pedagogical guides, scholarly compendia, beautiful poems. Now, here's the thing. So he
0: about little boys. about little
1: boys with, with drawings. Now, when when and if this is where um, Paggio did go to, he could say, "Look, I'm I'm really a big fan of this guy. Can I see some of his works? That'd really be great." But the man in charge of that uh, monastery. And Poncho both know you can you can already see these in the Vatican Library. So it's not the greatest excuse to get your foot in the door. But if you bring up the um, the Abbey one of the greatest heroes or figures there, you know you, you suck up, you butter up, and you try to get your way in. And that's what he's trying to do at this point.
0: It's like how you got your way into pretty, our podcast. We're saying you're a big much, fan of my Napoleon pretty shows. Too much. It works. You would never listen to it, but it works. <laughs> you know, you're like oh, <laughs> huge fan. One day, huge fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. <laughs> So that's what my wife says. (laughs) One day, I'll listen to it. She listened to one. That was all it was. She listened to one and was like, oh, yeah. I'm going (laughs) to marry this guy. (laughs) He's mine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. uh, So Rabanus Morris, one of the most prominent... Writers and teachers of the Mm. sort of Carolingian age, best known for his encyclopedia, (laughs) De Rerum Naturis, on the natures of things. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Remember that title because it's going (laughs) to come up again.
1: I just wanted to ask real quick. um, So as far as I know, he was trying to record all of human knowledge. And I think he got up to 22 books. I don't know if he died or if he decided that he was done. But isn't that a little bit egotistical to think that you can take all of human knowledge and write it down? Or maybe he's just writing down the important stuff or the stuff that's important to him. Did you have any more on that? I just I just found it interesting that someone would go, you know, there can't be that much. I'm just gonna start writing down everything that I've ever been told or learned.
0: Well it's actually my ambition for <laughs> our podcast. Oh
1: awkward moment.
0: To record Sorry. all of <laughs> all of human knowledge. <laughs> as slowly as possible. <laughs> on with our dick podcast.
1: jokes. <laughs> yeah with dick jokes <laughs> Uh, then I, I would draw the question.
0: <laughs> oh, great. Yeah, well, I know somebody's got to do it. That's true.
1: Uh, why not? That's true. You know.
0: Yeah. He only spent uh, five years on it too, so oh, I don't yeah. know. He must have. Not impressed. must have written quickly. Yeah. 22 books Woo. took him five years from 842 to 847. Right. 22 books synthesizing all intellectual history up until his modern day time. Wow. From Plato uh, through Augustine, through (sighs) Pope Gregory the Great. Yeah. Bringing it all together. Hmm. Good for him. Yeah. Um, Now, Rabanus, as a young man, had studied with a guy called Alcuin, Mm -hmm. who was the greatest scholar of the age of Charlemagne, considered probably the most important architect of the Carolingian Renaissance. So just to... If people haven't heard of that before, before the Italian Renaissance, what this show is supposedly (laughs) all about, in the 7th and 8th centuries, there was this mini-Renaissance called the Carolingian Renaissance, without which... Mm -hmm. The Italian Renaissance of the, you know, sort of fourteenth, fifteenth century right. probably wouldn't have been able to happen. wouldn't have happened because a lot of the documents ah. that guys like Poggio found uh, were produced during the Carolingian mm-hmm. Renaissance. It was this stored. sort of yeah, yeah. It was this important time where. The the original documents from before the Christians took over um, the empire, mm-hmm. the the, you know, the things that were written in the fourth century, fifth century, were probably starting to crumble and die uh, in the the libraries of Europe that that survived, and uh, under Charlemagne's uh, Renaissance, they were being copied. Now the the problem. With it is that it was mostly confined to the clergy, right? And 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 the reasons behind it, as I understand it, is that when when Charlemagne took over, sort of Latin was disappearing as mm. as a as a as a language. Uh, the lack of Latin literacy was causing problems for his rule because there was a limited number of people who were capable of working as court scribes oh. in societies around Europe where Latin was still an important language. So he said, right, we, we need to start training people in Latin. This is not acceptable. I, I love my Latin. <laughs> um, Latin lover. You know... It, if people, if people stop understanding Latin, at some point in the future, somebody will be able to print a T-shirt <laughs> with a rude saying on it. And go to Rome. And wear it <laughs> in public in Rome, and, and no, no one will bat an eyelid. By, except for Tony. Yeah. I actually uh, I had an Uber driver yesterday who was uh, Croatian. And we 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 got talking about the uh, you know the Bosnian civil war and all this kind of right. stuff. It was a great chat. But he he said that uh, he said forgive my English. Uh, you know I've only been here twelve years. Came here without a word of English. Wow. Um He said I mostly I I knew French and Latin. I said Latin. Why? He goes yeah yeah. I learned Latin Where? at school. Where? And oh. I was I was gonna say
1: well let me let
0: me <laughs> let me whip something let me, out. Let me whip this. Out. Yeah. <laughs> Are you familiar with the term? <laughs> I thought, uh, no. you know, my Uber rating. I don't want it to no. go down. He, he might get offended. How um, could he not? As it turns out, I don't think he would have because I ended up after, just towards the end of the trip, we were talking about the Civil War. I guess from your perspective, what what was the cause of the Civil War? Right. And he said, bloody religion, <laughs> so stupid. Oh, religion, stupid. I was like, Hack. "Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Good guy, you're my, you're my man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, anywho, so Latin was dying out. So Charlemagne ordered the creation of schools in 787. Now, partly as a result of this, he attracted a lot of leading scholars ah. from around the sort of Europe right. to his court. So workshops produced in Charlemagne's reign to produce. Educational materials for these Latin schools that he was setting up produced over a hundred thousand manuscripts in the ninth century. God. Of which we wow. believe about seven thousand survive, about six percent of those survive. So, oh man, the, the oldest surviving copies of Caesar, Julius Caesar, like his campaigns in Gaul. Cicero, Horace, Marshall, right. Virgil, Ovid, etc uh, were produced during the Carolingian Renaissance. Uh, so it was incredibly oh important in the whole scheme of things, uh, little period. Also Charles the Great could have people reading dirty poems for him in <laughs> Latin from Catullus. <laughs>
1: Someone's got to do it, yeah. And Rabonis, and I think this is pretty much what you're, what you're alluding to. Rabonis, you know, because of his his travels, and because of the the guy that he worked with, a who had traveled a lot, who was from York, um, he he knew a lot where the manuscripts were at. He brought him in, like you said, he trained a lot of people, and they started making copies of everything they could. And now, hopefully, Poggio is going to be able to reap the benefits of all the hard work if of these people. Fulda was before. actually where
0: was. And ended up.
1: If, hmm. if, exactly. Yeah. We don't know for sure. Yeah. But here's the other, here's the other part of it. Now I'm not going to jump ahead, but if, if that is the place that he went to, in some ways, this is, um, this is actually good for him because this place, even though it's known for being a little more independent than other places, probably because of its history, it has been a epic center, epicenter of manuscript, manuscripts being copied, but now it's, it's, you know, it's seen its seen its best days. It's having harder times. It's a little more desperate. It's a little more isolated. And maybe, hopefully, the people there, their garden won't be quite as up as it used to be when this abbey was back in its heyday. Gosh, so, I fingers you were crossed. Talking about me
0: then? Sort of past its heyday, not as up as no. it used to be. Yeah, in decline. No. <laughs> oh, no.
1: Quite, quite up, my friend. Quite up.
0: Well, yes, uh, but, you know, he hoped that despite the fact that it's in decline, some of that collection might have survived. And boy, was he right. (laughs) He found the only surviving copy of Mm -hmm. the 17-book-long epic poem Punica about the Second Punic War, the longest surviving poem in Latin—it's about twelve thousand lines long—written wow. by Silius Italicus, uh, around right. circa sort of eighty-three to ninety-six CE. Silius um, Italicus lived sort of twenty-eight to one hundred and three CE. Roman consul, orator, poet. He was an informer under Nero. Nice. Uh, anyone hey, that Nero wanted, do, condemned. Silius. He- uh, Itali- <laughs> I'll do it, silly, boss. I'll do it. Silly Billy Italicus, <laughs> as he was known. Oh, uh, used to be the prosecutor right? who would go, oh, the emperor doesn't like you. You're fucked. <clears throat> <laughs>
1: Yeah, and, but it got it made it so he could survive some of these crazy emperors. So, you know, good for him. And after he's consul, he's going to be the proconsul of Asia, to which then he is going to retire and leisurely write and read and enjoy himself. And I guess maybe it was at that time, I'm guessing, I'm not sure, that maybe he sat down and wrote this very important work. Like you said, the, it, this was the last surviving
0: copy. Yeah, and at age 75, he apparently developed... A tumour? It's not a tumour. People said, yeah, no, it, it, it is. It is a tumour. It's not <laughs> no, it's, a tumour. Yeah, it's yeah no, no, out. It really. Right. Yeah, it's disgusting. <laughs> You're going to die. Oh, it is a tumour. And uh, he starved himself to death around 103 CE. Apparently happy to the end. Ah, yeah. It's all right. Don't worry about it. I'm finally down to my, uh, my fighting my week. So good. so good. Happy to go. Life well lived. Survived Nero. (laughs) Uh, You know, yeah. Yeah. Caligula. Vespasian. Who came after that? Uh, Well,
1: you know. uh, Yeah. So
0: So, uh, there you go. Now, interesting side note on Punica, his poem. Yeah. He mentions in that. Right. That uh, Vesuvius had... Thundered and produced flames worthy of Mount Etna in the year 217 BCE, which was its last major eruption before the Plinian eruption of 79 CE, which we're going to be talking about a little bit later on today.
1: Oh, and just and just one other thing about Silius. Um, it, it was the Younger Pliny who wrote actually something nice about him. Because he was an informer for Nero, did get people put away, not because they had done wrong, but because the emperor didn't like them. And the Younger Pliny writes that he obliterated by the praiseworthy use he made of his leisure, the stain he had incurred through his active exertions in former days. So in other words, he was a cunt. He got innocent people executed, but he made up for it by, I guess either living a better life and or writing this uh, incredible work that we wouldn't have known about the details of the Second Punic War unless he wrote it mm. and it had survived at this abbey.
0: There you go. It's a bit like Churchill. You can be a cunt all your life, so but as you? long as you write something before you die, people will go, huh, he's all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Exactly.
1: Yeah, it's how you finish the race, not how you start it.
0: Uh, Now, Poggio also discovered the only surviving copy of a work on astronomy by a guy called Manilius. The work is called Astronomica. Nice. Written very early on, sort of around during the reigns of Augustus and Tiberius, 10 to 20 CE, it's thought. And it apparently takes a stoic... View of the universe, a deterministic view of the universe that is overseen by a god but governed by oh. reason. And as far as I understand it, I haven't read it, but I've read sort of a summation of it. According to Manilius, the universe also is God, or at least oh, deep. a god. <laughs> well, it's it's pantheism, my friend. Yeah, you know, I'm it's uh, all wrapped up. I'm a scientific pantheist. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Pantheism, where the universe is God. It's all God. It's only God. God We're is all love. God. love. That's all oh, is. that's that's beautiful. Okay, yeah.
1: And and there's... That's the beat. That's true. And some of the other stuff he found, he found um, an ancient literary critic during Nero's time who wrote about classical authors. Again, this is how they find out about authors and about works, even though they can't find the works themselves. They know that some of them exist. He found writings of another critic who fortunately quoted extensively from long lost poems written in the imitation of homer he found another grammar, uh, grammarian who had written a treatise on spelling which let's be honest all the wordsmiths in florence are going to love so he's making a lot of great discoveries at this place and he knows like oh, i'm going to get credit for this this is going to be great because wasn't he traveling with a gentleman Bar- bart dark whoever his name is, and they went their separate ways. And now he's probably thinking, I'm going to get credit for all of these. This is awesome. And he's not finished discovering things yet.
0: Yeah, no, he, yeah, they went their separate ways. uh, And he came across this uh, massive um, treasure trove. Now he also came across a large fragment of Ammianus Marcellinus's history of Rome, sort of covered, Everything from Nerva <laughs> in ninety six through to the death death of Valens in three seventy eight sort of a continuation of the history of Tacitus. Oh. Um, we talked about Ammianus on this show. I don't know back uh, back in uh, the day. last year, about a year ago. Right. Um, he was a non-Christian historian who was. Uh, in Antioch, when they were sort of uh, the Christians were destroying all of the pagan uh, stuff and killing pagans and that kind Jeez. of stuff, um, I, I, I quoted him. Then he wrote that uh, innumerable book, innumerable books, and whole heaps of documents which had been routed out from various houses, were piled up and burnt under the eyes of the judges. They were treated as forbidden texts to allay the indignation caused by the executions, though most of them were treatises on various liberal arts or on jurisprudence. So uh, he also said uh, throughout the eastern provinces, Mm -hmm. whole libraries were burnt by their owners for fear of a similar fate such was the terror which seized all hearts i you being executed <laughs> for having pagan works right. in your house by the Christmas. and i
1: and i think we've done enough shows to know that when they start burning and destroying ideas that's not the beginning of saving your empire that's the beginning of losing your empire i mean they're going around and they're worried about people's thoughts and words written down in books. I mean, it's just, you know, I guess when you have a certain mentality, everything is a threat to it, and it must be destroyed. But that's not good leadership or moderation, but that's what they were going through.
0: Yeah. So, she'll be the United States about six months from now, <clears> by, my, <throat> by my predictions. I'm ready to burn. What do I got? <laughs> I don't know anything. Uh, uh, now, his, his uh, big history, which was called the Res Guest Day, the same as... Yeah. Uh, Augustus's uh, final didn't work. Didn't he get
1: copyright uh, on that? Originally composed... Didn't, didn't Augustus get copyright on <laughs> that? Sorry.
0: <laughs> yeah, his lawyers were chasing Ammianus down. Fortunately, his lawyers were all R- burned at the stake boom, by the Christians done. for having uh, pagan <laughs> literature, so he got away with it. Um, originally 31 books, but the first 13 have oh. been lost. Poggio only found the sections... Right. That covered three fifty three to three seventy eight. The remainder, the earlier books, that covered from ninety six yeah. to three fifty three, never Gone. never been found forever. Oh, yeah, man. what a Jeez. fucking tragedy.
1: And and I think yeah, now, he on. was. No, uh, I think when when we mentioned him late last year, we were talking about some of the things that he was writing that that did you know obviously uh, seemed to, to indicate that the empire was, was crumbling. I mean, they were talking about the heavy taxes. Most of the people were financially ruined, and the army, army's morale was very low. And, we, and I'm sure there's other things going on as well. But when you have those ingredients and you mix them together, obviously you and your empire are in a lot of trouble.
0: Yeah, he was writing only 20 years Ooh. before the sack of Rome by the Goths, where um, you know, we got a little bit of sexy right. Christian on Christian <laughs> violence, <laughs> Not- and a little bit of... Christian rape and Christians that <laughs> uh, Saint Augustine yeah. used to say, yeah, well, maybe they, they deserved did. it. Um, just as Christianity was taking over, he was writing. I mean, an amazing first-hand witness. All of that. He himself was a pagan who was tolerant of Christians, yeah. but it's in this work where we get the wonderful quote: "No wild beasts are so deadly to humans as most Christians are to each other." <laughs> That's so which true. reminds me again of my conversation with my uh, uber driver about <laughs> the uh, Bosnian war yeah religion buddy jeez oh, but the most exciting text that Poggio found in Fulda yeah that's indeed it's, where it's he was great. the one that he will always be remembered for the one that changed the world forever mm-hmm. was a long text written around about 50 BCE mm-hmm Contemporary of uh, Caesar and yeah. uh, Cicero and Cato the and greats. Pompey right by the poet and philosopher Titus Lucretius Carus. yes
1: lived about te- nine, oops sorry sorry I was just going to say uh, lived about 99 BC to 55 BCE as far as we know but again that's pretty vague because there's a lot we don't know about his life.
0: Be everything we don't Every- <laughs> know about his life, pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. The name of the book is De Rerum Natura huh. on the nature of things. Very similar to the title of Rabanus's <clears throat> encyclopedia, De right. Rerum Naturis, but a very different work. Yeah. Now, Poggio probably would have recognized the name Lucretius because some of the documents that he already had access to. Ovid and Cicero, in particular, had made oh, mention of Lucretius. Right. But neither he nor anyone in Florence had ever read more than maybe a scrap or two yeah. of Lucretius's work. As far as they knew, it had been lost forever, and he found a, an entire copy mm. of it. As it turns out, the last full <laughs> yes. copy. Of this work. It's never been found since. There, there are bits of it that have right. been found in Herculaneum, the uh, villa of the papyri, mm-hmm. but uh, we, we have Poggio to thank for rescuing this yeah. from being obliterated by history.
1: And I, I imagine that he sees it. He knows the name. He doesn't know much about it. Go. Oh, good. Look, I got a whole one. This is going to be great. Gives it to a scribe. Here, make a copy of this. But let, let's let's be cl- clear about this. I mean, this guy, guy has no idea what he's found and the repercussions from this book once it is copied and sent back to Florence. He has no idea. We do. But this is an incredible moment in human history.
0: Yeah. And why? Well, we'll get into it in a minute. Uh, but the, uh, what I mentioned that Cicero had spoken mm-hmm. about it. We have a copy of a letter that Cicero wrote to his brother Quintus on February 11th, 54 BCE, where he says, The poetry of Lucretius is, as you say in your letter, rich in brilliant genius, yet highly artistic. <laughs> um, the, yep. the Roman poet Virgil who was only about 15 when Lucretius probably died, seems to have referenced him when he wrote, much later, Blessed is he who has succeeded in finding out the causes of things and has trampled underfoot all fears and inexorable fate and the roar of greedy Acheron. Wow. Um, So there you go. Like... um, This guy was famous with these people. Mm Ovid wrote the verses of sublime Lucretius, Are destined to perish only when a single day will consign the world to destruction.
1: (laughs) God.
0: And And yet, Lucretius almost did perish. It barely survived. And as I said before, we know almost nothing about him. Yeah.
1: Ooh, yeah so i I guess you know pajo's i don't we don't know how long he was there we don't know where exactly he was at, but he's probably at some point going, yeah okay i've done enough let 's make a copy of all these things. Let me get out of here and and either head back to Florence or wherever I'm going to go next. But again, there's just there's just this little pinprick in time that's going to threaten. And as we're going to see in the, in the next couple of episodes, it is going to threaten everything you can possibly think about. Every institution, almost every other philosophy, every religion, everything. This is going to turn the world on its head. And therefore it has to be destroyed.
0: Yeah. Now um, we don't, uh, know of any other works that Lucretius wrote. This might mm. be the only thing that he ever produced.
1: Want it done, we know
0: <laughs> We know that the poem is dedicated <laughs> to Gaius Memmius, the mm-hmm. tribune of the plebs in 66 BCE. Right. Um, we know that M- Memmius was a strong supporter of Pompey, but eventually went over to Caesar. Then he yeah. had a falling out with him too and went into exile. Um, and according to Cicero, Memmius had an estate on which were the ruins of Epicurus's house. Nice. And Lucretius was a follower of Epicurus. <clears throat> now, um, who was Epicurus? Uh, the founder of the Epicurean philosophy. Uh, Alexander listeners may remember that we talked about Epicurus. Um, he sort of... His school, the Garden, right, uh, popped up in that sort of interlude after Alexander died in Athens around 300 CE is when the Stoic school and the Epicurean schools came to be. You know, there was this, this period where we talked about um, when, when Alexander's successors basically established monarchies across the world, across Alexander's empire. Mm-hmm. And in places like Athens, whereas previously, if you are a, a citizen and if you are a white man, you were expected to play a role uh, in the, 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 the governing of Athens. Right. After there was a king, really, there was no work. There, there's no, there was no governing to be done. You Just the king's orders were being carried out. And right. that's when this individualism started to rise. People oh, yeah. were like, okay, well... I guess I'm not part of the machinations of Athens anymore. I might as well worry about my my own damn self. (coughs) And these philosophies about how to be happy, Stoicism and Epicureanism emerged during that period. But we'll talk a lot more about Epicurus in uh, the next couple of episodes. Mm -hmm. So Lucretius was a follower of Epicurus. He was an Epicurean uh, philosopher. Now, Memmius was married to...
1: I don't remember.
0: Fausta Cornelia. Mm. Right. The daughter of our old friend, don't make me puller, (laughs) Lucius Cornelius Sulla. Right. So Lucretius dedicated, on the nature of things, to Sulla's son-in-law. Wow.
1: I wonder if he was an Epicurean as well.
0: We don't know. Well, yes, I think Memmius uh, was. Mm -hmm. He, um, you know, he had built his estate... Or he had an estate which contained the ruins of Epicurus' uh-huh. house in Athens. I guess. I think. I think that was deliberate. Right. Yeah. I think he was a okay. big fan. <laughs> big fan. And um, you know, probably bought the estate to uh, protect the ruins of his house. Or right. Something like that. I imagine.
1: How much more is your property worth now that you can people can say that you lived there? Just curious.
0: Oh, Just yeah. No, priceless. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Anyway.
0: Uh, Now, the only biographical sketch we have of Lucretius comes uh, from St. Jerome, who lived sort of uh, late 4th, early 5th century. Mm -hmm. He claims that in 94 BCE, Titus Lucretius, poet, is born after a love potion had turned him mad and he had written, in the intervals of his insanity, several books which Cicero revised... He killed himself by his own hand in the 44th year of his age.
1: Was he a part of the campaign to destroy the Christians? Yes,
0: he was. Okay, because
1: yes. that's, that's yeah. so obviously over the top. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah, he was a... St. Jerome was a Christian polemicist wanted to destroy the reputation of pagan philosophers, particularly the really dangerous ones like Lucretius. Um, But that's the only biographical information we have about Lucretius is that brief scandalous note from (laughs) Jerome. Um, Except this. On August 24th, 79 CE, Mount Vesuvius obviously erupted, Mm-hmm. Destroyed not only Pompeii but also the small seaside luxury resort of Herculaneum uh, right. on the Bay of Naples. It's about if you look on a map, Herculaneum is about halfway between Pompeii and Naples right on the the, the coastline right at yeah. the base of Vesuvius mm. you know, when they were they were looking for a place to build a luxury resort <laughs> villa there. So, well, I
1: want it there. Yeah, you know, like,
0: yeah. Sit. <laughs> <Right Like, on. laughs> this you want a little bit of danger with your luxury? Yeah. Danger zone. Nothing like right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Go, Archer.
0: Yeah. Uh, there's nothing Sorry. like building your luxury resort at the base of an active yeah. volcano for a little bit of a thrill. Yeah. You, you, you know, you wake up. You, 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 yeah. You're grateful every morning when you wake up. Until you do wake up because you've been oh, killed by a volcano. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I want four terraces under the main floor looking out on the sea. I want gardens. I want everything. Let's do it right because when this place goes, I want people to talk about
0: this 2,000 years from now. Let's do it right. And, of course, when Vesuvius erupted, all of these incredibly elaborate and luxurious, expensive villas from the <laughs> Roman elite were buried yeah. under 65 feet Woo. of volcanic ash and rock. Yeah. Um, and were completely forgotten. Oh my God. Until they were built on top of. Like, there was a new city yeah. built on, on top of this over the intervening 1,700 years. Wow. And then... Early in the 18th century, um, some guy was digging a well. As you do. And he's digging, 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 digging. uh, Gets about 65 feet down looking for water. Right. And he he finds a marble statue. Huh. That didn't belong there. He's like, what? what, what, what?" (laughs) Uh, And uh, so they keep digging and they end up digging a tunnel. Right. down there like a, like mole man right. and uh, it becomes uh, basically a big smash and grab yeah. uh, the they're digging tunnels and pulling out marble statues and, and other Jeez. things that uh, gems and things like that 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 end up being placed in uh, palaces of Europe um, and just trashed everything else. Anything that wasn't a marble statue, oh, oh, fuck it. It's not yeah,
1: there. these little chunks of coal or whatever, don't get rid of that.
0: Eighteenth century, no one really gives a shit about preservation. <laughs> um, but then, a, a, a few decades later, they, they, a new guy is in charge of the excavation there, and he's a little taking a little bit more care with it. He's a little bit more civilized, a little bit more sophisticated. He's like, oh, hold oh, oh, on. This is it's, like it's this is down. important shit. Yeah. You can't just trash this shit. There, there might be something precious in here. We just everyone slow the fuck down. <laughs> slow your roll. Um, speaking of rolls, they found some rolls. They they came across a room underground. Right. Had a had a mosaic floor and was filled with nearly two thousand Things that look like big pieces of poop, um, basically. Uh, mm, yeah. v- like little, I don't know, charred branches. Uh. Um, few, You know, five or six inches long, blackened. And they, they start hauling them up, armfuls of these things. There's oh nearly God. two thousand of them. They bring them up, and they're like, "What the fuck is this?" We don't know what this is. They thought at first they might be like charcoal bricks, yeah, uh, for the fireplace. So they started to light fires with them. Uh, see, if, oh, oh, they, they burn, burn, yeah, yeah, they're great. to yeah, <laughs> keep us warm on a cold morning. God, what, 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 we make our. What are would have been drinking tea in the seventeen hundreds? What were they have been drinking? Mm. I don't know. Whatever the yeah. coffee, probably making their coffee in the mornings. And then somebody dropped one and it cracked open Mm -hmm. and inside there were letters. Oh. And they're like, oh, Oh. trees with letters inside of (laughs) them. And somebody was like, no, 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 no. no. I don't think that's what you're looking at. (laughs) Is that where letters come from? Inside of trees? No. (laughs) Somebody worked out that they were looking at the charred... ...remains uh, of papyrus scrolls from a library.
1: So I guess roughly the outside of it burns, hardens, encrusts, and uh, whatever goes from there. Then the rest of it, whatever is left inside is is protected from the sacrifice of the outer layers.
0: To a degree. Okay. I mean... Uh, if you've seen these things unraveled, I watched a couple of documentaries on it over mm-hmm. the course of the week. I mean, even if you unravel these things, they're they're fucked, they're burned all the way yeah. through. But some not destroyed. Not completely right. destroyed. Right. Um Yeah, they were exposed not just to uh the, the the heat and everything from Vesuvius' eruption, but then they were rained on afterwards, right? Water damage and all this kind of stuff. But then they were trapped underground in a sealed room for seventeen hundred years. Jeez. Yeah. They are yeah. the only documents from the first century. Ce that have survived. The only documents from antiquity that have survived in any form. The only ones because they were buried underground by Vesuvius. So,
1: thank you, Vesuvius? Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: One of the documentaries I watched is this Italian guy, a researcher who's been working on these for decades and he's like, I am a friend of Vesuvius (laughs) because Vesuvius... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> kept these safe for uh, des- <laughs> destroyed them but also yeah. kept them safe killed people the only documents that have survived right. yeah. but the story of of what's happened to them in the last few hundred years is is pretty tragic uh, mm. and frustrating and disappointing yeah um so veg- initially when they saw right they're like oh well let's just break them open and see what's inside yeah and of course good. when they did that these things just crumbled into ash. Right. They're like, oh fuck that one. Let's try this one. <laughs> no, good. that one isn't good.
1: <laughs> okay. The twentieth. The twentieth time is the
0: charm. Ah, fuck. Okay. And of course, they 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 the ones that they tried to unravel were the ones that looked like they were in the best condition. Oh yeah. Because they thought they had the best chances oh. of unravelling those. Nah, fuck that one up. Right, throw that one on the fire. Let's yeah. try this one. Jesus. Um. And so they destroyed yeah. dozens, maybe hundreds of these fucking precious ancient scrolls by fucking around with them in the uh, middle of the 18th century. Uh, eventually, mm-hmm. there was this guy from the Vatican Library, a, a Neapolitan priest, Father Antonio Piaggio. <laughs> Who um was called in, he was like, Oh, what the <laughs> fuck are you guys <laughs> doing? You, like I'm a priest and even <laughs> I know you're that's dumb. And I believe in Jesus. Like, come on. Noah's Ark, everything. Come on, you dumbasses. Yeah. He yeah. said, uh, we all are believing in Jesus. It's uh the it's in century, dilly, we're all uh, Jesus worshippers. He's like, all right, okay, Just cut out the bullshit accent. Um <laughs> So he uh, he uh, he said, "No, no, we need to we need to be more careful with this." And he invented yeah. this incredible contraption that uh, basically covered it would cover one like the outer layer of of one of the scrolls with these. Um, uh, uh, this is called a kind of skin, but it's basically like made from the intestines, I think of a calf sure would would paste it on basically as like a glue to keep the outer um shell of it together, and right. then had a machine with weights that would slowly really <laughs> slowly like a millimeter a day
1: oh my God, slowly
0: pull the outer um, sheet of the scroll off that's incredible and the skin that it, that would have been glued to it would hold it together but it would you know it would these things would be damaged yeah as they were pulled apart but you know they, they would keep most of it together and then they would flatten it glue it onto uh, uh, another piece of paper mm-hmm. and uh, they'd be able to then try and discern what the, the writing was right. on, uh, on you know, this ink that had been lost, destroyed uh, over 1,700 years. And so finally they started to be able to decipher some of it. Yeah. Um, not a lot, but little bits and pieces. And uh, what they found was most of the ones that they opened up mm-hmm. were Epicurean philosophy. Hmm. Written by a philosopher called Philodemus. Right. Huh. Huh.
1: So I imagine there's I mean, out of all of the ones that they find, they're they're finding a bunch of Epicurean um writings or whatever. I, I would think that would be a little bit odd. Um like was that the whoever lived there, did they were they an Epicurean themselves? Was it just that happened that part of the library that they happened to open up? But it seems like they found more of that at first than anything else. And I just I just wonder what how that would have been possible, if I understand mm. your story correctly so far.
0: Mm. Well, it seems that the Library that they uncovered was uh, a Greek, a, a Greek library, a library mm-hmm. full of Greek works. Okay, and obviously the person who owned the villa was a big fan of <laughs> Epicurean philosophy, right? Um, and had and and basically a dedicated. Uh, certainly a large portion of his uh, library to works on Epicurean philosophy. Now, this guy Philodemus taught in Rome. Right. From about 75 BCE to 40 BCE, he was an exact contemporary of Lucretius. Ah, okay. And it turns out that he was also a personal friend of Lucius Calpurnius Piso, the father-in-law of Julius Caesar. Mm, Okay. Calpurnius' father. And it is now thought that the villa where they discovered these things, which is now known as the Villa of the Papyri, was owned uh, by Lucius Calpurnius Piso. Obviously not in 79 CE when... Vesuvius erupted because he died 120 years earlier. Yeah, uh, but uh, probably passed down to family. successive generations exactly. of Pisos. Yeah, um, you know this is well after Tiberius and Piso shit, um, <laughs> who was a, a relative, right? And all those Pisos that we've talked about on our Tiberius show recently. Uh, but yeah, probably still in the family. Might might have been sold to somebody else. We don't know who would have owned it in 79 CE, quite frankly, but. Uh, we do believe that it was Piso's because one of the documents that they opened up was basically a party invitation (laughs) from (laughs) Philodemus to Piso. Right. And he was like, hey, um, uh, uh, we're having a party at my place to celebrate the birthday of Epicurus. Why don't you come to my humble abode? Yeah. And uh, we're going to get it on. We're (laughs) going to party like it's 1999 (laughs) BCE um (laughs) so they now think that this and this villa man you like if you haven't seen a reconstruction of this thing it i for some reason i'm always shocked like when we talked about tiberius's villa on the island of capri recently i think villa i think a a nice little house in the country maybe three or four bedrooms little roomy nice yeah yeah but but not these things are like fucking palaces. <laughs> yeah. These Roman villas were palaces, man. Insane. This place was insane. And if you, want to, if you want to go and see what it looked like in real life, apparently you go to the Getty Museum yes. in Road trip. California, Malibu. Well, I was going to go to it when I was in L.A. last year. Right. Victor Santoki was going to take me. But um, apparently it was under some sort of repair yeah. work at the time. Yeah. And I think it was... Partially shut down or completely shut down or something, so yeah. I didn't get to go on that trip. But apparently, uh, J. Paul Getty, who owns so he'd you know part of his art collection, he'd owned some of the statues from uh, Herculaneum right. from the Villa of the Papyri. Uh, he said, "Well, uh, let's just rebuild it Let's yeah. put these things the in." Yeah. And he has built uh, to the best of their ability mm-hmm. an exact replica. Of what this place looked like, which is fucking crazy, yeah, absolutely. Well, it helps when you're a billionaire
1: from oil. It helps when you're a billionaire from oil that you can do that kind of shit. That's
0: that's what I've always said. (laughs) Helps if you're an oil billionaire. Yeah. (laughs) Um. So. uh, So anyway, back to back to these um, scrolls. Now uh, excavations Mm -hmm. on the villa were halted in 1765. Oh. It doesn't sound like... They're good. like, nah, we're not doing that anymore. I think there was... The people living above it were complaining. I think, like, gases were escaping. Right. And they were like, oh, the noise and all this kind of stuff. And so they stopped. Um, oh. And then it was lost. They forgot about it. How, um, how in the fuck... Sorry. How in the
1: fuck do you yeah. forget about a villa with Greek writings from the first century covered up by a fucking volcano explosion. That kind of checks a lot of boxes. How do you forget that? I
0: don't know. Have you ever, like, <laughs> lost your car keys?
1: <laughs> yes. You're like, I'm sure there was a... There wasn't there, there something? Was a well? There was well. We were there digging. Was a well and a tunnel something, down here somewhere. Some, I heard a...
0: Does anyone remember where we dug that well? Dutch, oh, so no, many fucking fuck wells. Gone. Who can it's tell? gone. I can't remember. you can tell which well is... yeah, Which well... <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, it was lost for about two hundred years. Oh my god! It was only in the nineteen eighties, right, that somebody was able to pull out eighteenth century documents and go oh, on entrances to tunnels. Yeah, and they're like, oh, hey, where's this one? And they found it. They found this ancient well, and oh. they found the villa of the papyri. Oh again. my god, that's crazy, man! Yeah, crazy. Yeah,
1: when in, and so, I'm sorry. When, yeah. when in doubt, if you fi- if you dig a well and you find statues, or you think you're going to lose an entire uh, architectural site, whatever, call a podcaster. Just do yourself a favor. Call a podcaster. Make it a lot easier, and we'll just come in and, and handle the rest. C- kind of like Ghostbusters. Uh, I'm done.
0: Right. Thanks for that. <laughs> Um, so they they started excavating again, but then they stopped mm-hmm. uh, excavating. The Italian government decided yeah. that it was more important to preserve what had already been excavated rather than excavate more. <sighs> Um, And apparently, according to these documentaries I was watching, what has been excavated is in a bad state of disrepair. They don't have the money to stop it from falling apart. Mosaics are being lost. There's overgrowth on everything. It's crumbling. Um, So it's a good call. But here's the thing. Mm -hmm. They think there's probably thousands of papyri down there yet that we haven't. Dug ruined. up, and if rain is seeping in as a result of the excavations, they're probably suffering more damage. So, yeah. we they don't want to dig them up because they can't preserve what they've already dug up. But if we don't dig them up, they're going to be lost forever. <laughs> yeah, even if we do dig them up, there's still nothing really we can do with them because it's only very recently that they figured out how to begin to read these things. So, um and also, if this is the so, I think villas like this mm-hmm. would have had a Greek library and a Roman library separate in a oh. separate villa, like maybe adjoining rooms. You keep all your Greek manuscripts in one room right. and all of your Latin manuscripts in another room, and we haven't found the Latin library Ooh, yet. Who knows? So, I- who knows what could be in there?
1: How much money was offered up as donations when Notre Dame was burning? Couldn't we get a couple of billionaires together to throw a couple million dollars at this project? I mean, is it that hard? Mm. B- what do I know?
0: Or well, J. Paul Getty? Instead of building a replica, how about you help yes. us <laughs> to up the real, you know, fund this one? Yeah. Uh, so we can find all this shit. Um, so uh, yeah, like there's still, I think. 2,800 square metres of unexcavated sections of the villa. Jeez. the potential. Now, lot, lots of the um, scrolls that they tried to unroll, as I said, over 100 or 200 years were destroyed. But then in the early 1990s, they came up with this approach called multi-spectral imaging. So when you had... Uh, papari that had been successfully unrolled mm-hmm. it's still it, it was next to impossible to read a lot of the ink on it because these things when you look at them they just look like burnt toast Right, they're just black and the ink's black so you've got black on black which is cool if, if it's an ACDC <laughs> album right. or, or a Metallica album or whoever else did black on black albums yeah. but not cool when you're trying to read uh, black <laughs> ink 2,000-year-old black Uh, ink on black charred paper. That, if you touch it, it crumbles to dust. Yes. Um, Very, very difficult and and very hard to even be – like most of these papyri are in uh, Naples, in in protective custody in Naples. A couple – I think four were sent to Oxford in the 18th century – uh Napoleon ended up with a couple, so oh, they're in France. Nice, because uh, his sister was the Queen of Naples for a while. Okay, um, there's the bits and pieces scattered around the world. Most of them are in Naples, but everyone who's got them is like, "No, fuck you! You can't look at them <laughs> because these seriously are like the most precious artifacts yeah. from antiquity." Yeah. The only surviving writings from the ancient world. And if you even look at them the wrong way, they just, they're like, it's like Thanos snapped his fingers. (laughs) They just turn to dust and they blow away in the wind. So, um, very, very, but this multispectral imaging was a way of being able to use the different wavelengths of light to be able to read the text on the Ah. ones that they had unrolled. Very successful. But, uh, the ones that are unrolled, it's fucking useless for. but recently a guy from Kentucky called Brent Seals, who's a right. computer uh, uh, scientist, f- has for the last sort of 15 years has figured out a way of being able to mm-hmm. do something basically like a CT scan, right um, where you can put an entire unrolled, Papyrus scroll into a scanner, computer like a CT scanner, like you'd scan a body in. Um, And it does a nanometer by nanometer scan of the document, right? Being able to tell the difference between what's ink and what's uh, charcoal, and then uses like a computer algorithm to digitally unwrap the scrolls and piece all the layers together. And it's only really been in like the last year where he started to have some success with this. And he's struggled to get his hands on these uh, papyri scrolls to be able to scan them in the first place. But there's a couple, I think, that are headed to the Getty Museum in the US for an exhibition and um, he's managed to have them diverted to a place where he can get them scanned. So we, in the, the next, next year yeah. or so, yeah. we may be able to, for the first time, read some of these scrolls that have just been sitting in museums for the last few hundred years. Um, they're probably all going to be Epicurean philosophy. Still. Um, now... Unfortunately, the SEALs guy is an evangelical Christian. Here we go. And his his motivation, apparently, is he's hoping to find some early Christian documents, like letters from St. Paul um, that might be in the collection. Highly unlikely, um, but that's his ambition. I kind of hope that they'll turn up a document that says, shh, we invented Jesus (laughs) to keep the Jews quiet. Don't tell anyone. Pass it on. But probably it's going to be more Epicurean philosophy. Yeah. Um, Now, by the way, the bulk of the marble and bronze statues that were pulled out of Herculaneum are in the National Museum of Naples, Mm -hmm. which we have to go to on our next trip to Italy. Yes. my favourite of those, I actually used it in an early cut of the film. You may have seen it. It's the one of Pan fucking a goat. Yes. Did you see that one in my... To- I've, I've had to take it out because too many people went, oh, yeah. father, <laughs> um, and fainted uh, in the early screens Not of good. the film At that. It's a great statue, though, of this Pan god, basically with a goat on its back, legs up. As you and, do. You know, slipping... And you can see his dick going into it. Oh, yeah. It's uh, very sexy. It's my favorite. (laughs) So that was found in uh, Herculaneum.
1: I just, I posted, I I forgot about that, but I posted that very picture a day or two ago on the Renaissance uh, Facebook page. And I put road trip. So obviously we (laughs) think alike. So Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I used that in my film at one point because I thought, yeah, you know, it was in a section where I was talking about uh, uh, pagan religions. Right. And uh, I thought mm. that basically, that's my favourite uh, yeah. uh, uh, depiction I see of pagan why. religions. Right. Yeah. Anywho, that was found there. Um, and just to wrap up, I just want to point out that since the eruption in 79 CE, Vesuvius has erupted about 36 times. Oh, my God. Oh my. And God. the last was in 1944. Are people still
1: building houses around? Just checking. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just checking. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Gotta have yeah. faith. Go to Naples.
0: <coughs> I was in Naples like 15 years ago looking at Vesuvius going, what, what is wrong with you people? Like, <laughs> it's why... right there. Yeah. yeah. What are uh, you thinking? <laughs> I'm on the Renaissance Facebook page. I cannot see a picture huh. of. Uh, Oh yeah, I did. Sorry, Mm -hmm. there it is. Yeah, nice. And I've even one of us liked it. Paula Davis wrote the origins of Goatsy. uh, (laughs)
1: Yeah. Oh, we've corrupted our (laughs) listeners. That
0: is such a great statue. (laughs) Like, like it's carved in marble. I like there was an artist at some point going i got a year. What am I going to work on? Uh, oh, what can I do you with a piece of marble? Yeah, I've like got to dedicate a year something. of my life to something here. Yeah. Something that will... I know. I'm yeah. going to do a picture of <laughs> Pan fucking a goat. Hi. That's what I'm going to work on. Right. Yeah. <laughs> 2,000 years from now, people are going to people will still be looking at it. Um, going, wow, that's kind of sexy. Or purposely All right. Not at it. Find, yeah. find a man who looks at you like Pan looks at this goat. Is and
1: you will have true I love. say.
0: All right. Well, that was a long episode. Let's get out of here. Yeah.